We're live. Good morning. My name is Jerry Reardon, lead pastor at Noblesville First United Methodist Church. We are here gathered in the sanctuary. We've got a small congregation of staff mostly uh, here to uh, uh, put this on for you. We live in unprecedented times. Uh, who imagined we'd be at this point in our country now? But we're here to let you know that God is with us, and we hope that we can continue the, our Lenten journey especially those of you that are reading along with the walk and experience that in your small group or your own personal reflection, today will help you in that process. Please understand that today, this live stream has been put together very quickly. It may not be the best in video production quality, but we hope it will provide a feeling of your church family as we experience worship together. We want to remind you that we are the Noblesville First Church family and will continue even in this crazy time. Uh, we will add some music elements in the weeks to come so it will feel even more like a typical worship experience. Today we decided to keep it simple. We're going to have a prayer time led by Pastor Aaron. Then Matt Hempelman and I will share a collaborative message. Then we're going to do a 15-minute Q&A, give you a chance to ask us questions Perhaps about the message, reflect, share some comments with that, or to talk about how we're going to handle the coronavirus crisis here at Noblesville First. And then following that, we'll have a special announcement in blessing. We want you to know that ministry is going to continue here. The pastoral care team is meeting right after this service to talk about how we respond to this crisis. The church office will remain open. Small groups with the ability to maintain social distancing can still meet. Just be sure to contact us so we can make those room arrangements so you can spread out. This week we'll be working out a plan for those essential groups. We have things like the teeter 
farm volunteer groups that need to work because those crops need to get in the ground. Our Narcotics Anonymous group is a group that needs to meet, and there's probably others. So we will work on that and continue to communicate. I know Tom and Janelle are working up a plan to meet with our students uh, in smaller groups, and they'll get back with you as soon as they have that plan figured out. So please stay connected with Noblesville First through the website, through our social media platforms, and especially our Noblesville First app. If you haven't downloaded it, do so as soon as possible. And also please make sure that you make use of the online giving or mail a check in, or you can even drop by the office and share your contributions because the ministry at Noblesville First continues, even in this crisis. Pastor Eric? Just a couple of other announcements for this morning. If you have IT experience and would like to serve briefly on our IT task force, please email Pastor Jerry at jrairdon at noblesvillefirst.com. Uh, please also submit your questions uh, for our upcoming question series, which will be held April 19th through May 3rd. You can email those questions, uh, any uh, that you have, to uh, Pastor Jerry or to Pastor Matt. And then the last thing I wanted to highlight is uh, watch for updates tomorrow um, about volunteer opportunities at Tea Organic Farm. Uh, we will let you know how to safely uh, volunteer at the farm. Now we're going to shift gears and, and just lift up some of our prayers of uh, joy and concern and also a sympathy. So first we want to lift up Vic Harbor, who has now been moved to Harbor Manor, to uh, Dale Darling, who is Carol Darling's uh, brother, who is now in hospice care, uh, to John Orr, who's battling an illness, and uh, Katie Rogers, our farm manager, who just got back from Europe is, and is going to have to uh, self-quarantine for 14 days. Uh, we also express our sympathy to Mark Hickner and his family upon the loss of his mother, Barbara Hickner. Let's take a moment of silent prayer and then I'll close this with a pastoral prayer and we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. sure, O oh God, help us to be calm. When information comes from all sides, correct and not so much, help us to be discerning. When fear makes it hard to breathe and anxiety seems to be the order of the day, slow us down. Help us to reach out with our hearts when we can't touch with our hands. Help us to be socially connected when we have to be socially distant. Help us to love as perfectly as we can remembering that perfect love casts out all fear. We pray for the doctors, nurses, technicians, custodians, aides, chaplains, and caregivers. We lift up to you the researchers and theorists, the epidemiologists and infectious disease personnel, those who are investigating uh, the source and the uh, way this virus works. And we ask that you be with those who are sick and those who are grieving. And Lord, this morning we especially ask that you be with the families who can no longer visit their loved ones who are in hospitals and nursing homes at this time. Grant them your strength and comfort as they trust them to your care. We pray, O oh Lord, for safety, for health, and for wholeness for all who are affected all around the world. Stir in us creative ways to reach out to one another in love and care 
through phone calls, texts, emails, and social media. And help us to be kind and patient with those who are seeking to provide us with goods and services during this difficult time. Help us, O oh God, that we might help each other. In the name of the one who is the great comforter and healer, we pray. And now let us unite together in the prayer that you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now we have uh, three scriptures that I'm going to read uh, to prepare us for our message today. First from Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And then Matthew chapter 20, verses 26b and then also 28. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And then lastly, from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are what, excuse me, for we are what he had made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. We thank God for the gift of Scripture. I'm going to begin with a story that I think sets the tone of what I want to share today. The story is about a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occurred. It was a crude little life-saving station. Their building was just a hut. It was only one boat. Few devoted members made up that life saving station. They kept constant watch over the sea, day and night, searching for the lost. And many lives were saved by that wonderful little station. It became famous. And over time, those who had been saved and others around wanted to become associated with that life-saving station. They gave it their time and money for the work. New boats were bought, new crews trained. That little life-saving station grew. Some members became unhappy that the building was so crude and fully equipped. They thought a more comfortable place should be provided for those who found their refuge when they were saved from that sea there. They replaced the emergency cots with beds. They put better furniture in that enlarged building. And now that life-saving station became a popular gathering place. They decorated it beautifully furnish it exquisitely, it kind of became a sort of a club. Well, over time, fewer members were interested in the work of the life-saving station. They did keep the life-saving motive in the decorations throughout the building. There was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where club initiations were held. And then about this time, a large ship wrecked off the coast. The hired crews brought in boatloads of cold and wet and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. Some had black skin, some had yellow skin. And that beautiful new club was in chaos. The property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the building so that 
those victims could be cleaned up before they're brought in to the club. And then the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as unpleasant. It was a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some insisted life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they still called it a life-saving station. It was finally voted down. If they wanted to save the lives of the shipwreck, they told them you could begin your own life-saving station down the coast a ways. And so they did. And as years went by, the new station experienced the same changes and evolved into a new club. And yet another life-saving station was founded, and history continued to repeat itself. So if you visit that seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Well, Howard Kleinbell shared that classic story years ago. It serves as a good illustration of what has happened with the religion of many Christians. So thus far in our walk series, and if you haven't prepared it, probably with some extra time, I invite you to download that book soon and catch up with us. But so far, we've issued a couple challenges using the five fingers of our hand. We've encouraged you to pray five times a day and to worship more regularly. Good luck with that now, but hopefully you'll join us online. Last week, we talked about the importance of study and the challenge of reading five verses of the Bible a day, if you're starting out, and try to work up to five chapters a week. And find someone else to study the Bible with. That accountability and knowledge will help keep us growing in our faith. This week, as important as those things are that we've shared, they are meaningless if they don't motivate us to go out and make this world a better place. If not caring for and improving the lives of people, what good is our faith? Our challenge this week is to do five random acts of kindness this week and each week after, and to also find an ongoing place to serve where you can make a contribution that makes a difference in this world. There's just too many that think that all that matters is what you believe. They think if you believe with your heart Jesus is the Son of God and ask for the forgiveness of your sins, then you're good to go and you're on your way to heaven. And the result is there are many who go to church, pray, read their Bibles, and perhaps avoid evil, which is a good thing. But it's not the radical, transformed living that Jesus and the prophets spoke about. Our worship is worthless if it doesn't lead to some tangible good. Consider some scriptures where people thought their acts of worship would win God's favor, and this is what God had to say to them through the prophets. From Isaiah 1, 13, we hear, Stop bringing worthless offerings. Your incense repulses me. New moon, Sabbath, and the calling of an assembly. I can't stand wickedness with celebration. You see, people were giving their service to God by bringing animal sacrifices and sacrifices of grain. They then were told by God in verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Micah, who was a prophet about the same time as Isaiah in the northern kingdom of Israel, had these words to say. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, 
Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. I just love the way the New Revised Standard phrases that. What does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And then one more challenge that comes from the Old Testament. In the book of Proverbs, the 31st chapter, you'll find these two verses. Speak out on behalf of the voiceless and for the rights of all who are vulnerable. Speak out in order to judge with righteousness and to defend the needy and the poor. And if that isn't enough, then to consider what Jesus did. In his first sermon, he quoted from the 61st chapter of Isaiah, and he said that he came to preach good news to the poor. And then later, in that parable that you find in the 25th chapter of Matthew, he said, when you've done it unto one of the least of these, you have done it unto me. I would hope that every person would examine these scriptures, calling for justice and mercy. And decide, what is the one thing I can do on a regular basis that makes this world the way God wants it to be. We may not be able to change the world ourselves, but we can all do one thing that helps to change this world. I want to leave you with one more thought before I hand this over to Pastor Matt. I've noticed that Methodists, and maybe Christians as well, we're really good at showing mercy. We are compassionate people. We're good at food drives for food pantries. We're good at feeding the hungry like we do at the dinners on us on Thursday night. We're great at buying Christmas gifts for needy children. And we buy those school supplies when they're asked for to fill the backpacks when students go back to school. We are awesome at that at Noblesville First, and thank you for that generosity. And that is what we call ministries of mercy. We do really well there. The scriptures are also very clear that we're called to create justice. And justice is a little harder because it means changing the systems that create the problems that require the ministries of mercy in the first place. We would do well to work harder at changing the systems and the cultures that lead to that problem in the first place. And justice is much harder because usually it means going against a system already in place. It often means resources will need to be shifted, which almost always ends up making someone else unhappy. Let me give you just one example that's taking place right now. And I'll do my best not to get political here. Right now, there's a lot of debate over a bill in the state legislature in Indiana that could put a halt to the effort at creating a stronger public transportation system in Indianapolis. Now, I don't want to argue the details that bill. I'm not even that familiar with it. I just know that there's good intentions on both sides. And the greatest concern is that the financial challenges that come with, with public transportation. Most public transportation does not pay for itself. But here's what I do know. I know that I was, when I was in ministry on the east side of Indianapolis, I saw that one of the major issues for people living in poverty is transportation. For those people who are working often at or near minimum wage, they could not afford to maintain a car or their car was always breaking down. And employers need people who can show up to work every day.
For people on the lower end of the economic scale, having reliable public transportation is absolutely necessary. It's one of the best ways that government can give a hand up without giving a hand out. I don't have all the answers about how you fund public transportation. I don't want to argue the economics of whether it is smarter to spend our tax dollars on miles and miles of roads and then maintain them or to invest in public transportation. I just want to point out that how we spend our tax dollars declares what our values are as a society. Every day, decisions are being made that help one group of people over another. And typically, those decisions ignore the people who are stuck in a cycle of generational poverty. If we care about all people, then we need to change the systems that continue to produce children who find their future limited by things they cannot control. If we're to be faithful to Christ, if we paid attention to the scriptures we read today, we're to work for justice. And then we need to be a, a voice for the powerless. We need to advocate for those whom no one will listen to. We need to create the systems that make it possible for anyone willing to work to meet their basic needs. Yeah, justice is much harder than mercy. But it is a part of what it means to serve in the name of Jesus Christ. I hope we'll let those words of Micah reside in our hearts and guide our actions. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God? Good morning. I'm Matt Hanselman, and I'm one of the pastors here at Noblesville First. I'm glad that you've chosen to log in and worship with us this morning. And I have to be honest, when I read the challenge for this week uh, in the walk and saw that it was five acts of kindness, I was a bit put off. There's nothing wrong with acts of kindness, but my thought was that just being a decent human being shouldn't be in a part shouldn't be an essential part of Christian life. It should just be a part of being a human being. So I'd like to build upon what Pastor Jerry said and try to reframe kindness a bit and what it can mean for us as followers of Jesus. But first, let's talk about serving. One of the questions I've had countless conversations about as a pastor is, does God need our service? This is such a loaded question because it can take so many different paths. I think the follow-up question that I would argue changes the answer to this question, depending on how you answer it, is for what? One for what is, does God need our service to meet God's needs? And Paul has a response to this that he gives to the people in the book of Acts. He says, God, who made the world and everything in it, is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made with human hands, nor is God served by human hands, as though he needed something, since he is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else. This suggests that no. God does not need our service to meet God's needs, because not only do we have no way to meet them, the verse suggests God doesn't actually have needs. 
So the other for what question I'd ask then is, does God need our service to meet the world's needs? And this